I hope you all enjoyed that episode, and I will see you all next time. And if you're a PhD student and you're interested in coming on the podcast, do just send me a message on Instagram or Twitter, and yeah, let's get something sorted. Yeah, so have you been in the lab today, or? No, not today. Working from home today. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm working on some writing because I, I'm in between experiments at the minute, so it's been a bit of a working from home day. I've had a few meetings, so it's been... It's, I'm kind of getting used to it now. At first, I hated it, but now I'm kind of getting to the groove of it. And I quite like being able to have like really nice lunches because <laughs> the kitchen's obviously just downstairs. So I'm like, I just uh, have a, a very extended lunch break now. But uh, yeah, what about you? Have you been in the lab today? Yeah, I've had a stinker today. I've been oh, no. I just I was doing this protocol and just it's my first few times trying it out, and yeah, it's just not working. I'm just like. I think I know why it's not working, but I've just tried a few other ways of doing it. And yeah, oh, it's just a nightmare. Just seeing the nice weather. <laughs> I went outside just to have some like dinner and stuff. Just, you know, just chill out. Just yeah. enjoy the sun for a bit. And I came back. I thought, right, you know, I've got a podcast to look forward to tonight. Let's hopefully get some good data. And uh, it was just shocking. It was just oh, an absolute it's nightmare. It's just the worst, isn't it? I feel like this is what's coming for me after Easter. I've taken two weeks off and nice. it's, it's mainly just to prepare myself for what's obviously going to happen with like my protocols going wrong. I'm just, oh, I'm just not ready for it. It's, it's not oh, ideal, no. but I hope at least you know kind of what's, what's wrong though. I'm, that, yeah. That's fine, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm certain I know what the issue is. I just wanted to try a few things out bef- before. Um, yeah, a bit of troubleshooting troubleshooting just to like confirm okay that yeah that definitely yeah does not work so at least now i just need to order more things in get that delivered and then oh fingers crossed I'm yeah sure I, started eventually yeah because I, I took some like i'm doing some fluorescent work at the moment oh nice and uh, i got some cracking images like some really good images with the clear plates but when you try quantifying it with a microplate reader i feel like you need the black plates really Danielle, I don't know if, if you do much fluorescent work. I have briefly in my master's, but it, it was kind of like somebody held my hand and took me through it. So okay, I don't know yeah, yeah. too much about it. But yeah, yeah, I remember the plates was like really important. Yeah, no, they, they definitely are. Like I, I was reading on, I don't know about you, but like, because you're second year now as well, aren't you? Are you second year? PhD? Yeah, yeah. Would you, would you say yeah, that yeah. kind of like research gate is like your best friend now or... Yeah, it's a, any problem that I have, I just thought it's it's like the new Google. I just type everything in there and hope for the best. And people, I've either already put it out there or they like reply to whatever I've put out there. It's and as well, like finding like-minded people who've kind of done very similar projects to you. It's just yeah. amazing. Although I do feel a little bit awkward kind of reaching out to people. I feel like such a little pleb, just like hi, uh, please help me. You know, they're like a high up lecturer or professor, and I'm just yeah. like, you know. <laughs> a meaningless PhD student. <laughs> oh, have you actually asked some of the questions then? Yeah. On, yeah, on... yeah. Oh, I need to do that. I get too oh, nervous. Oh, you need to. You, you, you just got to like swallow your pride and just go in there. And it, it's, but normally people are really lovely. I've only like once had somebody reply who's kind of been a bit like, well, why don't you know this? And I was like, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Some people are scary, aren't they? Yeah, but I think you lose a lot of context, don't you? I mean, they, they might have been joking. I don't know. Like, yeah. I would try not to take it to heart because I was like, you never know if people just have like quite a dry, serious sense of humour. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, sorry. 
<laughs> you just don't know, especially when people like messaging you as well, because like I've been told before by some people that I'm quite a blunt responder, like on text. And like, right, that's right. not like a purpose thing. I'm just not the best texter. I'm very like, mm. just straight to the point. But some people tell me that comes across as like rude. And I'm like, oh, I'm not trying to, I apologize if I am being rude. <laughs> I'm literally just trying to. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I have a bit of a reputation actually in our, this sounds really bad, a reputation in our building um, for sending like really nice emails. And everyone always sends me their emails to kind of go through and fluff up a bit before they send it. <laughs> Honestly, it's good. I'll like go through it and I'm like, I sort of put in like, hi, how are you? Like, how are the kids? And like, <laughs> I go like way overboard just to make sure that they know that I'm being friendly. Yeah. Um, and then like, I do that typical, you know, that passive aggressive, like take off the kind from regards if I'm really upset. <laughs> <laughs> oh I need to get to this standard. This is the standard I need to get to with my oh, I should I should hold lessons, honestly. I'll start charging. I'll probably like fund my whole PhD with it because clearly I've got a gift. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, so I, I'd pay for it. I definitely like, <laughs> it's so important, like first impressions, isn't it? And especially if you, mm. get, if you get good emails. Um, I try my best, you know, if it's a proper email, like I'm messaging someone higher, I'll definitely, you know, put some effort into it. Yeah. Maybe read what's the best way to kind of <laughs> send well, an email. Yeah. But then I guess like, you know, you can spend ages writing an email to, especially like somebody high up and, you know, you spend ages writing it, making sure everything's perfect. And then it's that typical response, isn't it? Where it's like, okay, sent from iPhone and you're like, right. <laughs> so true so true yeah it says dinner at the bottom sent from iphone You're like, yeah oh. oh that's not nice but yeah so let's get kind of into the juicy parts now yes uh, okay i've been trying but um but yeah just going forward do you want to just tell people a little bit about yourself just what you studied at uh undergrad and masters and then kind of what you do now phd level yeah okay so um I went to start my undergrad when I was 18 so I was fresh from school um, and I didn't get my predicted A-level grades so I ended up going through clearing and that meant that I ended up applying to and getting accepted at Nottingham Trent University in the UK um, and I started out on a biological sciences course which was three years and halfway through my first year we got asked if we would like to specialise and we would get that option if we did well in our first year. So that meant that I kind of had to look at the options that were there and you could do like microbiology, biochemistry, um, okay. like ecology and biomed. And bio, like the biomed lectures were kind of what I enjoyed a lot more. So I applied to do that and I did well at the end of my first year. So I successfully transferred to that course. But I also extended the course to the sandwich degree. So that meant that in my third year, I went out and did a placement year and that was in an NHS histology lab. So the pathology department. Um, and that was amazing. That was a fascinating year where I learned a lot about diseases and how you know like dissect tissues have a look at things under the microscope but I, I just felt like it wasn't exactly what I wanted for all I really enjoyed it it just didn't give me exactly what I was looking for so when I went back to uni to finish my final year and eventually I graduated with um, a degree in biomedical science I was looking at master's degrees and I ended up deciding to do a master's in research degree 
and that was at Newcastle University and that was in medical and molecular biosciences um and I chose that because it was quite broad there was a lot of options to do quite specific courses but I just wasn't really sure exactly what I was interested in it started out that I was kind of more interested in reproductive sciences and that meant that I ended up applying to do a project in what did I do a project in it was looking at um mouse mitochondrial DNA replication during sort of early embryo development which was again really really interesting but whilst I was looking into that I kind of strayed a little bit away from interest in my um, in reproductive science and I got a little bit more interested in mitochondria um, and by that point I'd kind of decided that I wanted to do research and I'd really like to do a PhD so I started looking for PhDs and I applied to lords <laughs> um i think i applied to about 17 or something oh, ridiculous wow. like that i know um and anyway one of the ones that i applied to was at teesside university and that is where i got accepted and that's where i'm doing my phd now so i'm in the second year of my three-year phd program um i think my phd is going to be in microbiology um i think that's sort of the title that it'll come okay. under nice. um but i wouldn't really call myself a microbiologist um i'm looking at the role of mitochondria in parkinson's disease so that's my broad title um i realized that robert had done a lot there it was that too much is that okay no, 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 that was really good. no i'm really enjoying this this is good this is this is what i want um Great, cool. loads, of, loads of pick up there i think like the first thing that kind of interests me straight away is the fact that uh you're quite open and honest about you know i i didn't really have much of a schooling background uh, me personally, uh, you know, I was more focused on rugby. So, and, uh, unfortunately, um, had a big injury, which means I didn't, uh, have a career in rugby. And that's kind of why I, I got a lot more interested in, uh, studying that kind of stuff. But I think like a lot of people, when they look at like PhD students, they always think that they've had this kind of clear path. They've kind of just excelled and always, but like, you've been quite open with like the A-levels didn't quite go your way. Like that must've been quite difficult at the time. Yeah, it was, I think, I mean, I've, I, as you say, I've spoken about this openly before and it, it, it wasn't always easy to talk about it so openly. It was something mm. that I really struggled with with a long time. And I think it's just because it felt, and it probably still is to be fair, one of my biggest kind of life failures if you want to call it that I don't really look at it as a failure now obviously it got me to where I am Um, but yeah it was it was pretty grim especially because I think like probably a lot of people who have been in my situation I breezed through school I got really good grades and for A level I was predicted really good grades and then to not get that and have everybody know that you haven't got that who you know you, you might have had a reputation for getting good grades and then having to then say, well, actually, I didn't get those grades, now what? And that never really was something that I thought about at the time. It wasn't something that I thought, oh, well, I mean, obviously you have that exam anxiety where you think, oh, it might not go my way, but I never in a million years thought that it would go quite as badly as it did. Mm. Um, And yeah, it was really difficult. I think I was just really lucky in that I didn't have a lot of time on results day to grieve almost because... I I had a a brief sort of half an hour where I was, I remember I was just crying and I was an absolute mess. And I was there with my best friend, Conrad. Um, 
and there was a teacher there who I think is now actually the head teacher of that school and she sort of said right you've had your moment snap out of it we're going to get you into a uni it's going to be fine and she kind of encouraged me to have a look at clearing and I was just really lucky that Nottingham Trent accepted me um and to be honest like I've never really looked back but I think as you say you look at a lot of people doing PhDs and you know we we kind of came across each other on Instagram and Mm. when I look at a lot of scientists on Instagram they all just seem absolutely amazing and I think you can't help but compare yourself and I think because I started out with those bad grades and kind of not going in the traditional route I've always felt like I'm a little bit of a fraud and not quite good enough so I mean I remember talking about getting those grades on my blog and the amount of people who replied and said you know that happened to me too and I was just like what and I just couldn't believe that it wasn't just me and I know that sounds really self-centered but I just couldn't get over the fact that I wasn't the only person who had gone into academia or a PhD from that kind of rocky start and I feel so much better about it now than what I ever have before like I have no shame whatsoever in saying that I didn't really get very good grades um and you know I I will kind of sing and dance about it to everybody who needs to hear it if that's going to make yeah. them feel better because as you say we don't all have the same beginnings and we don't have the same entry and that's totally fine mm-hmm. yeah definitely I kind of I agree with you I, I think like that's more of a powerful thing the fact that essentially like it hasn't gone your way or initially didn't go your way and then it's what you do from there right you could have easily just decided actually do you know what this isn't for me like i'm gonna quit i'm not gonna go to university but in your case you actually decided to go and you know look where it's got you now so it's just I, I believe like stuff like this actually builds more resilience rather than getting uh you know straight days and stuff i was actually speaking to one of my good friends i think it's like the fourth episode of the uh, podcast and he's doing his PhD at Cambridge University um, and he done his undergrad at Imperial College London and he was just discussing you know when he got to like Cambridge and uh, he done masters at Oxford he was saying that sometimes uh, lecturers or you know kind of leads of the the PIs won't take on an undergrad Oxford or Cambridge for a PhD sometimes you know, not all time, but sometimes just simply because if they've not experienced failure, then, you know, that's going to be extremely difficult when you get to PhD, because as we both know, <laughs> experiments don't always go to plan. And working nine to five Monday, Friday will not equivalent to being successful in a PhD. It's about just going with it. And, you know, if you fail 19 times, it's both thinking, how do I get that 20th time to work? That's what a PhD is about, in my opinion. And I feel like sometimes when you've been through like experiences, like what you were saying, I think it builds you up a lot better. I don't know if you think that as well. No, yeah, I definitely agree. And it's really interesting, actually, that you say that because I hadn't heard that. And I think when you think about it, it does make sense because you know, what makes a good scientist isn't if you've got amazing grades, as you say, it is if you've got that resilience and if you just won't 
give up when you get those bad results because yeah it, it's definitely not plain sailing and I like to think that it's made me a better scientist and like it's make made me better at my PhD I guess I, I'll never know because I didn't go into it yeah. in any other way um but yeah I think it's it's definitely been I, I don't know what would you call it kind of a, a personality trait that you I've developed well, yeah yeah um I mean it, it also kind of helped that I was just really stubborn and I was like this will not defeat me yeah. um but yeah no I, I definitely agree with that and I can see why you know employers and university PIs would look at that and I actually think that's really nice that they might look at that and I hope if anybody's listening to this who maybe hasn't had the best grades and is thinking oh you know is there even any point in applying to a PhD I hope that this kind of doesn't force them to but encourages them to consider it because as you say that's something that maybe PIs look for or at least don't Mm -hmm. discount you because of Mm -hmm. yeah no I completely agree so when it came to the PhD then what essentially how come you applied for 17 was it just uh kind of not finding the right project or uh you know not suiting the university what what happened there yeah um a lot of it was I think just because I was applying to the wrong type of programs for me Mm -hmm. um I applied to a lot of doctoral training programs is that what they're called partnerships programs yeah um and I just wasn't competitive enough for them because I hadn't got kind of I got a two one in my degree um and then I got a merit in my master's degree so I just wasn't really competitive enough going into those programs Mm -hmm. and applying for them and I didn't have enough experience and when I look back now, it was disheartening at the time, but I understand now why there would be other people who are better suited. So the first lot that I kind of applied for, because I applied the whole way through my master's year, the first set that you typically come across are the DTPs. And I think they all close around about kind of January, December time. And I didn't even get past the first stage for any of them. It was like straight up projections. Um and that was really hard. And I remember going to see my tutor at the time and saying, you know, can you maybe give me any advice on how I can improve my applications? And he, he was very open and honest and said, look, I don't think it's maybe your application. It's maybe it's just how you come across on paper because maybe you don't have amazing results. Or I think especially because I'd come from what is sort of typically called a polytechnic uni, so Nottingham Trent isn't seen as like a red brick uni so a lot of programs would sort of discount you because of that Mm. um so that that was kind of the start of them and then a few of them I did get through to kind of the final stages I think there was three of them that I got through to like the final two or three which I kind of just took as nice that I'd got that far and it was always a case of there was just somebody who was better suited for that PhD than Mm. me and again, you know, it was upsetting at the time, but I completely understand that, you know, if there's somebody who has slightly more aligned technical skills, then that's just the way that it goes. Um, and then I think when it came to Teesside, Teesside was the last one that I applied for. And I just went in all guns blazing. <laughs> and I think instead of kind of being like, well, you know, please take me I was like this is why you need me (laughs) yeah um and I kind of just I remember putting together the presentation and I just really tried to 
align it with like my skills it's like this is what I've done this is how I'll apply it this is what I can offer you and I think that kind of is what really sold it in the end and well I mean I hope so that's I'm on the program so <laughs> you've got to hope so but um yeah it was I, yeah I think I just got so sick of rejection at that point I was just like well you know this is one of my final chances maybe for the year because this was I think my interview was around about June time um so I've been applying for almost a year at that point but I'm a big believer as well in you know like right place right time and this particular project massively interested me it was something that really aligned with my research interests and it's very very local to where my family live so I kind of it just felt very right at the time of the interview and I remember talking to my parents about it my dad took me to the interview um because I definitely couldn't be trusted with a car when I'm nervous and he said you know I think this might be the one and I was like no 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 like let's not jinx it and he's like no I think this is like right place right time right project right place and you kind of believe in that so I think yeah it's sad that maybe I didn't get into some of the others that I really liked as well but I think I'm definitely doing the right project now for me and it sounds really cringy but like I couldn't be happier it's great oh that's great that's really good to hear it's so nice to hear as well like I'm I'm so happy I, I love when I hear people's stories like where they've kind of just you know uh, open and honest about their kind of path and you know their failures but then overcoming that and actually achieving something I think that's great to hear so no I'm really happy for you and um yeah I think I think it's really good I oh, thank you <laughs> no, no problem I'm yeah because I was quite fortunate I think I only applied for two and I, so I never really went through because I've heard of people like applying for quite a lot um so I've never really had that experience I was just quite fortunate at the time I think the project I think like my undergrad project was very similar to the PhD and then yeah we just got on really well so I think I was just lucky there but I do agree though it's not I don't think I was That's the best it. candidate I just think it was more that I suited it uh, in comparison with everyone else that's what I'd say it is I don't know better than anyone there I don't know if that's how mm -hmm. you agree as well it's not so much you know being better than someone like having a higher grade or whatever it's more just the actual uh do you suit this project do you get on well with this pi or supervisor i think that's in my opinion that's what matters more yeah definitely i think that's very important and i think that's why sometimes face-to-face -face interviews are really important as opposed to you know when you submit an application it's just a piece of paper they don't know who you are yeah, yeah. and during an interview I think that is a really good opportunity to have a bit of a chat with the PI and as you say make sure that you'll get on because you know three or four years however long the program is is a long time to spend with somebody and if you don't get on then that's not going to be great um but I mean I don't think it speaks any less of you just because you say you know you only had two applications it just means that you found the right project for you and it really aligned with what you were doing and I think that's great in itself as well yeah yeah I guess so did you so when you had like the actual interview with the supervisor did you notice then you clicked really well or um 
I don't know. I mean, it was it was quite an intense interview when I think about it. It was the most intense one that I had because it was in front of a panel, and there was oh, wow. I think eight people on the panel. Um, it was it was quite intense because there was a few other PIs there who were interviewing people for their projects at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. We we had a little bit of conversation during the interview, and she was asking me sort of questions about my undergraduate project and my master's project and I, I guess we were kind of building a bit of a rapport but the the majority of it actually came kind of after the interview where she took me around the research facility and we had a bit of a chat um, yeah. and that was when I was like oh I really feel like we'd get on and we'd I mean obviously I didn't say this to her because it <laughs> would have seemed a bit strange but you know I felt I felt <laughs> you know like I really like you <laughs> but um I felt like we'd really get on and our research interests kind of aligned quite nicely. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. It's hard to say, isn't it? I think you're so blind in an interview that you're kind of so focused on just getting in there and getting your point across and then getting out of there again mm. that I, I, did, I didn't really focus too much on kind of trying to impress her. I just wanted to present myself well and hope that that was enough. Um, but we do get on really well. If she's listened to this, she's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's nice. That's nice. So is it is it quite a small group then? Is it mainly just you and her as your supervisor? Yeah, so I'm her first PhD student, which is sort of a, another nice thing in itself because I think, I'll, obviously I'll always remember her, but I'm, I'm hoping that like, you know, she'll remember me being her first. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's... It's it's good, and um, because obviously it's very one to one. Um, and if I have any problems, you know, she's there. She's very hands on. It's great. But in the same breath, I ha- I did find it quite difficult at the start because my project is very far removed from all the other PhD students in our building. So although I did make friends with them and I'm very very close with them, you know, we have group chats that we talk on and what have you. Um. I didn't really feel like there was anybody there who I could relate to too much. And that was one reason why I kind of then reached out to Instagram and set up my Instagram account because I just really wanted to meet other people who were doing either similar projects or something that was fairly aligned just so that I could kind of feel a little bit less alone. Not not that I'm lonely, <laughs> that sounds really bad. But I just felt like it would be a good opportunity to reach out to other people. Um, I mean, obviously, the group will expand in the years, I'm sure. And, you know, I know she's looking to take on more people at some she. point. So it'll, it'll eventually grow a lot more. Um, and obviously, when we've got undergraduates in the lab and master's students, there's, there's more than just me. Um, yeah. But, yeah. What about you? Are you in a small group? or? Yeah, very small. Sim- very similar to you, funny enough, actually. I'm... Uh... My my supervisor, I'm a first PhD student as well. So, uh, oh wow! So, yeah, like you said, it's it is a lot quiet there, isn't it? <laughs> when you're there, yeah, first. definitely. I think, I think it, it's it's the research questions, isn't it? You know, I'm planning an experiment at the minute, and hmm. it's like, who do you ask? Because it's not like there's somebody in the group who's done it before you. Where when I did my master's project, that was in a huge lab, and you can guarantee if there was a technique, somebody in the group had done it before you. So you always had somebody to go to who could kind of show you what to do. Whereas now it's like, I'm learning it all from scratch and I'm kind of teaching myself. So it's, yeah, it can be a bit difficult. It's kind of, it's got its pros and cons really, hasn't it? I'm yeah. sure you can 
agree. No, definitely. Oh, let me ask you this, Sam. Do you prefer which? What do you prefer, bigger group or smaller group working? Honestly, uh, don't ask. Don't ask. No, no, that's fine. I feel like I have to be really careful answering this, just you know, for future job prospects. I think for me, a small group was the way forward for my PhD. And the reason why I say that, and actually my master's supervisor said this to me when I said that I'd been accepted on this PhD, that I think a small group was what I needed to almost thrive because I wasn't, and I'm not massively confident in my own abilities. And I think in a bigger group, I might have got lost a little bit. Mm. And I think especially because you know, although they are your colleagues, you are still essentially kind of competing against them. And I find sometimes in some big labs, you might get a lot of competition. And I think with not having much confidence starting out with the PhD, I don't think that would have been the best environment for me. So I'm really pleased that for my PhD, it is a small group. Mm. Um, And I think, you know, Personally, I feel like I've come on leaps and bounds compared to what I was like when I first started. So, but then, you know, it's nice to be in a big lab as well so that you have that moral support from other people. It's very, it's a, it's a catch 21, really. I think for me, this was the right move at the time, but that's not to say that I wouldn't like to work in a bigger lab in future. You know, I would never rule anything out. I'm trying to be very diplomatic (laughs) with how I answer that. yeah no i couldn't agree more i feel the same to be honest with you. I feel yeah like- i was gonna say i'm gonna fire that back at you so that you have to answer it too <laughs> yeah no i i think no I, I i definitely agree i think like for me personally like working in small group was nice because i feel like you have more kind of like say and stuff so because we were both saying it, we both do our orders for our supervisors don't we yeah uh, <laughs> so you know it's it's good learning that kind of i feel like if you're in a bigger group you wouldn't learn as much um you got more independence i think in a smaller group you've got more flexibility you've got more of a say of what you want to do and i think that's quite nice especially at phd level where you can kind of afford a little bit for things to go wrong a little bit do you know what i mean not you're not under too much pressure as, as someone like a pi or i don't know a postdoc who's got funding in so I think yeah, I think I think it's quite nice actually being in a, in a small group, having the independence, building you up. But but yeah, same as you. I would. I think after PhD, I would like to be in a bigger group, but we'll just see. I don't mind. Um, I like the. I'm open to both, but yeah, I think for the the situation I'm in now, I definitely think the small group uh, suits me to a T. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's your answer is better than mine. <laughs> no, no, I think we've. No, because the, the thing I had time to think, and I thought, hmm, actually, yeah, I, I have got to think about this just in case, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to stab myself in the foot there. <laughs> if there's any big labs out there who want me to work with them, yeah, keep me in mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. So, is is she much in the lab much, or is it more kind of just you? And then, you know, how does it work? Yeah, it's mainly just me. Um, but if I do need her to be there, then she's there, like at the drop of a yeah. hat. She's really, really accessible, which is something, again, that I really like. And I think that's something important to look for in a supervisor. You know, I did ask at my interview when they asked if we have any questions. I said, you know, like, what is your teaching load like? How how accessible are you? You know, are you 
are we going to be kind of in contact with emails and she's absolutely brilliant I mean we're always kind of emailing each other and we have weekly supervisory meetings where we just kind of debrief about what I've been doing and what she's been doing and it's she's she's a really great supervisor um, I really do feel like I've I've looked out she's she's really great yeah how does it feel being in like second year now like so you've done a year of phd uh, <laughs> it's it's just mad isn't it i mean i don't know if you feel the same but i just feel like time's passing me by so quickly mm. i'm definitely a lot more confident than what i was when i first started out and i think i can see that in myself when i'm kind of course supervising undergraduates and master students i just have a lot more confidence to kind of say this is how we do it and i can help them and not worry about getting it wrong as much although I do still worry about that I don't know why I'm saying that but I'm definitely a lot more confident and you know I'm getting to grips a lot more with the literature and the techniques I just feel like it's all kind of slowly coming together which is nice because I think Covid was a massive spanner in the works so I feel like I'm in a positive place right now yeah. ask me that maybe in a year when I'm having a start my right up and I might not be quite as positive <laughs> but at the minute it, it seems to be going well um, I'm good. just trying to pick up with experiments as best as I can after you know the lockdown and we've had mm. restricted capacity which I'm sure is probably exactly the same for you so um, yeah. yeah but yeah it's 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 just it's going by so quickly I, w- I just want to savor every moment because I really am enjoying it and it's just scary to think that I only have well, actually, we got extensions of three months. So I'm technically, okay. I think, was it, that'll extend me to the February. So I've got like a year and 10 months left, say. So oh, that's a nice month. Yeah, so I, kind of, I guess I've just started my second year. But essentially, I started it in October because that's when I started. Yeah. If that makes any sense. But yeah. No, I know what you mean. You've got like the extra three months to kind of, that's quite nice. So it gives you a bit of extra time just to finish off lab work um yeah i hope so well hopefully it's all done when would you like the lab work to be done oh i don't know i mean in in an ideal world you know you want it all to be done in a nice time so you can then just sit and devote everything to to your writing yeah oh i don't know nobody's asked me that before i'm asking some weird questions today (laughs) (laughs) um i um i think in an ideal world i'd probably like it to be done by like the Christmas before I have to finish so I'd have to finish in like the February that's when I'd like to be like completely over and done with yeah but I think will it happen that way I don't know I'll have to just wait and see I think it's gonna it's gonna be a a game of just waiting and seeing how it all pans out yeah so I never asked that I feel I wasn't trying to be rude or nothing hard. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. I was just thinking, gosh, when would I like it to be done? It's not something that I've ever really considered. I think because I'm so focused at the minute on, you know, like lab work and I am doing a little bit of introduction write-up and stuff, but I think it just seems like such a far off distant thing that I'm just not thinking about it right now. I'm like, I don't have to do a viver and it's like, it's fine. Yeah. What thesis? <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I think like, yeah, it's only because kind of same position as you really just bashing up the lab work at the moment I started off a bit slow with my PhD um with like lab work and stuff I kind of spent more time like reading and all that maybe I should have but but either way I should have spent a bit more time in the lab but um but like now I'm not really doing that much reading I'm more just kind of well you know not as heavy as I was when I first started off like trying to go through like five or six papers a day um 
Whereas now I'm just trying to be in the lab as much as I can with the restriction. So yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's just when things it's, I'm, I'm a bit of a OCD with planning right? <laughs> and I need to get out of this habit because you can't plan a PhD too well. Can you, I think. Yeah. It's very, I, I know what you mean. It would be nice to kind of plan it out all to the letter and know, have like yeah. set deadlines. So, you know, within six months, I'd like to get this done, but I think so many things can just go wrong and you've got to deviate from that plan so much yeah. that I think it's good to have a rough plan, but you have to be open to then going off the plan because otherwise I think you just drive yourself insane. Yeah. That's, You're nodding. <laughs> that's I'm just like, yeah, that's there for me. That's me. Like today now, I thought I was going to have results. Oh, oh I didn't. No. Sorry. But no, it's, it's just how it is, isn't it? It's, it's just kind of, that's why I just need to be a bit more laid back. I think just kind of, yeah, but I, I do get it on the flip side of that. I think when, when you've been working so hard up to a point and you think this is going to be the day that like I get my results and then if something goes wrong, I mean, we're all like that. When something goes wrong, it's yeah. just awful. And yeah, we all, I think the thing to remember though is that we all work at our own paces and just because somebody might have, you know, two chapters of results done and you have nothing doesn't mean that you're not going to eventually catch up. It's just the nature of the work. And you're cell culture, aren't you? I am, yeah. So everything can go wrong with cell culture, you know. They just, know. they just decide one day that they're not happy and they all just die, so. Oh, don't. Yeah, I, I agree. Cause, so you work with the, with the flies, yeah? Yeah, yeah, just off of that. Oh, do you want to explain a little bit for the people just to know exactly? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> what exactly is. Yeah, so I work with the Drosophila melanogasta, which is essentially fruit flies, so... Um, if you're not familiar, fruit flies are the type of flies that you get in your fruit bowl if you let all of your fruit kind of go off. They're those really tiny little black flies that I never really paid any attention to before I started my PhD. And now they've just like become my whole world. <laughs> um, so Drosophila are a really well-established model organism to use in research. And one of the reasons behind that is because they share over 75% of the same disease causing genes as what humans do um so i work with well i'm looking at parkinson's disease and drosophila have the parkinson's gene mutations and um, well the parkinson genes that i can then mutate um so they're an ideal organism to use in neurodegenerative disorder research specifically in my case parkinson's disease um but they're also just a great model to use because they're cheap they're not very expensive to order. Once you've ordered them, that's kind of it. You can just kind of keep them going um, because a big part of my PhD is maintenance. So I'm kind of a glorified fly mother. I have to make sure that they are fed, watered and happy. <laughs> um, so you keep them in little plastic vials that have a little bit of sort of dry food in the bottom, which is kind of carbohydrates and yeast. And they will eat off that. And then when that food starts to deplete or get a little bit sticky, we then move them on to new food. And their life cycle is super, super quick. They will lay eggs that will then, they lay their eggs into the food that they eat from. And those eggs will then become pupae, well, larvae first, then pupae, and then flies will eclose. Within 
if you're keeping them in the right conditions, so around about 25 degrees, then you can get them a closing within about 10 days. So that's a beautiful thing for experiments because if you screw up an experiment, you only have to wait 10 days for more to kind of hatch. Um, And they've also got many really desirable genetic tool traits, which I don't know loads about, know loads about, um, but they do have a lot of characteristics such as the UAS system, which means that you can express certain genes in certain places. And because they're quite a simple organism, they only have four chromosomes, it's very easy then to also like predict their genetics. So you have relatively short genotypes that you can then kind of figure out what type of progeny you would like if you'd like to do a genetic cross with two parents that have different genes. Um, because of only those four chromosomes, it's quite quick and easy to figure out exactly what would be passed on from the mother and the father fly. But yeah, they're just, oh, they're brilliant. They're a really fascinating creature to work with. And I had never even considered working with them in the past. But now, if I could just work on them for the rest of my life, I would be so happy because they're just, they're just great. They're really interesting. Much better than cell culture. No, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not getting through this now. <laughs> I've always been interested by it. Like when Brad was explaining to me, you know, about dissecting that, I couldn't believe that because they're such small flies. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, to try and, because I'm guessing you're probably doing the same to get the mitochondria and stuff. Yeah. So um, I do know how to do brain dissections, but it's not something that I'm actively doing right now. Um, yeah. There's something that I try to practice so that I'm kind of always perfecting it because it is difficult um it's a lot of micro manipulation but you just yeah it's the way that I liken it to and what I've seen on the internet is that it's like peeling an onion you kind of just like peel back the layers of the head until you get to the brain (laughs) which is a lovely analogy you know um I'm sorry if you're eating onions tonight (laughs) but um yeah no it's it's really great and to be honest I mean I don't know if I should admit this but I really enjoy watching the look on people's faces when I say that I dissect fly brains because obviously like you just said they're like but they're so small I'm like yeah well I'm just that good (laughs) oh that's quality so because you're doing work with the mitochondria yeah yes and then so where are you getting that mitochondria from so I order my flies from what i like to call fly amazon um (laughs) so there is a place in the usa called the bloomington fly stock which is at indiana university and they have loads of different flies with loads of different genotypes and essentially you go onto their website and you type in your particular genes of interest so the types of flies that i typically work with are flies that have parkinson's genes and also mitochondrial genes but mitochondrial gene mutations um so i will type in whichever gene name i'm interested in you know i'm looking at one of the mitochondrial complexes so i'll kind of look at all of the genes within that complex see if they've got any flies and basically just order them they will then come to me and i essentially what i do is i cross in different mutations to see what the effect of that would be on the flies so 
if I've got a fly that has a Parkinson mutation and I've done behavioral assays on that so I know how that behaves I know how the Parkinson gene affects them if I then cross in so introduce a mitochondrial mutation in a particular mitochondrial gene I then do those behavioral assays again so this time the fly has both the Parkinson's mutation and the mitochondrial mutation and I'll do that same behavioral assay but this time I'll be looking to see if it performs better or worse based on that mutation so I'm kind of looking to see if there's any particular genes that are going to improve the Parkinson's phenotype um, and I'm actually writing a paper on that at the minute that I'm hoping will be out within the next couple of months so Ooh. stay tuned for that um yeah, but yeah awesome. so that's, that's essentially kind of what what I've been doing thus far in my PhD I hope that made sense it's kind of a, a complex thing to try and explain but yeah no it definitely did make sense I'm just trying to think how are you analyzing with this hmm. would that be PCRs and stuff or yeah so when I'm doing a behavioral assay that is what I call like a climbing assay um, and that's is it? yeah the tipping one yeah so that's what I've been doing essentially for the full of all of last year um so did, did that crinkle there am I okay <laughs> Okay, I <laughs> whacked my microphone out the way. Uh, so a behavioral assay, like a climbing assay, like you've just said, is when I have flies in climbing apparatus or some vials. I will shock them by tapping them down. And then they have an innate behavior called negative geotaxis, where they will climb against gravity. So they will naturally climb upwards. Wait, no, is that the right way around? Against gravity? Yeah, they'll climb upwards yeah, in the cylinder. And if they've got a particular mutation, so, you know, if you've got the Parkinson's gene, you're not going to be climbing very well because you've got problems with your brain. So those flies won't climb very well when I shock them and I give them a set amount of time to climb up. But then if I've introduced a mitochondrial mutation and if, for example, one of them causes the flies to climb a little bit better then that's an interesting sort of interaction that i've shown but that just shows that there's some sort of interaction it doesn't really explain what's going on so you're exactly right the next step of the process and what i'm doing right now is looking more towards kind of the molecular mechanisms that are at play so i've shown there's an interaction and now i'm looking at PCR, qPCR to have a look at exactly what that interaction is. So I'm now kind of more interested in looking at what's being expressed. Is there a lot of the RNA? Is there not very much RNA? Um, and then once I've had a look at that, I'm probably going to have a look at kind of the protein levels. So that'll be Western blot, um, which I've never done before. So that'll oh, be fun. <laughs> I only hear horror idea. stories. <laughs> no, I love Western blots. I do. I don't really? Know I think you're the only one. Well, like literally 60-70% of my PhD is Western blots. Oh, my sympathies. I don't know why people don't like them. Because they, they, <laughs> it's funny, because I have to go to a different lab to image them for the images. Right. And they're like, oh, Fester's you again. Oh, more Western oh. I feel sorry for this lab. I'm like, they're not that bad. They're all right. <laughs> You're an advocate for the Western blot. <laughs> I've just done so many of them now. And I do... I've got... So... I sent all this data to my supervisors last week and I thought they were going to be, they were happy with it. And they're like, okay. And then they just gave me more experiments. I'm like, oh, oh. I've got, 
So I, I've got blocked until the last day of my PhD, like hundred percent. Like, oh gosh. Yeah, they're not that Don't bad. Don't envy you. Oh, if you say they're not that bad, before I won't comment until I've done one. But I will probably be coming to you in a couple of months' time, and be like, "This is the worst thing ever." <laughs> <laughs> now do you know what though it is painful when you don't see a blot that is painful you're like oh for god's sake like it's such a long procedure isn't it, it is. one of my friends is doing one at the minute in the labs okay. and he just seems like he's working like 14 hours a day and i'm just like oh it's a lot of hours and yeah especially when you don't i don't know you didn't have like enough protein or um you know the antibodies don't work well oh, painful but i guess pcr's like that yeah, I guess so. And I mean, I'm finding this all out at the minute with the QPCR that I'm trying to plan. It's just, there's so many things to look at and yeah. so many things to order. And, you know, you've got to extract the RNA and then turn it into cDNA. And it's all just a bit, ugh. Yeah. It's, it's very complicated. I, I like the actual experiment. Like when I'm reading about it, it's interesting. It's just, oh, it's always good. daunting, I think, going into it. But yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I think all lab experiments, to somewhat extent... I guess you're never like guaranteed to get results <laughs> and it's always that yeah, unfortunately when I've been I mean I've set up fly crosses in the past where I've maybe so when you set up a fly cross you have to use virgin flies virgin female flies um because obviously they're the ones that lay the eggs you want to make sure mm. that there's not any kind of funky sperm in there that doesn't belong to the male fly that you need <laughs> and there's been a few times that I've wrongly identified a virgin female and when I've then come to my cross two weeks later, all of the progeny have not had the phenotypes that I've been looking for. And I'm like, why does that one have a red eye and that one has an orange eye? And, you know, you, you do beat yourself up, don't you? But I think you've just got to remember that it's all part of the process and you've just got to laugh about it, haven't you? I think yeah. if you don't laugh, then you would just cry. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe I remember when Brad was saying that as well. That's just so funny though. Like you can see like the uh you know, like different colour eyes. I can't it's yeah. Well, it's even, some of the I mean, some of the phenotypes that I like I work with is just absolutely mental. I mean, again, like when I tell people they're just like, How do you know that? I mean, one of the balance of chromosomes that I work with, um, the phenotype is something that we call humoral. So essentially the humoral are the flies that the, the flies the hairs that are on the shoulder blade of the fly and normally in a healthy fly there'll be you know two of these sort of thick hairs but with the humoral mutation you normally have more um, but it can be very very delicate there can be like a really fine third hair and I can whip through them really quickly now and I just know on sight which ones they are. But I remember starting out and being like, this is mental. I'm never going to be able to do this. Yeah. But the some are a little bit more obvious. I mean, one of them is curly wings. So you can very clearly see which ones have the mutation, which ones don't. Um, there's another one called stubble that I work with. And that is essentially all of the hairs on the fly's back. Um, instead of being quite sort of thin and hair like they're more like pubes <laughs> they're like really thick and <laughs> short <laughs> that's how I describe it to my undergrads and they sort of look at me in horror I'm like well that's what they look like <laughs> yeah oh my gosh that's so <laughs> I just like I can't get over some animal worker here it's like I always think who thought of that idea it's like it's just amazing just like the whole phenotypes you know deciding to use the fruit flies the fact that they they share seventy five 
uh, percent of the same genes. Uh, yeah, the same disease causing genes. Yeah. Like, and I hear some mice studies because I've always been interested in uh, like psychophysiology, so mm-hmm. the relationship between like psychology behavior uh, in terms of like loneliness um, and like depression. I'm quite interested in like how you can like measure like different physiological uh, parameters to identify or you know higher inflammatory is related to being depressed as an example and uh yeah no i was looking at like some of the loneliness studies in the mice and just some of the stuff they do to the animals is just crazy and the fact that it's kind of like uh not repurposing what's the word uh you know mimicking what we do as humans i just it's crazy it's absolutely crazy i can't get over it no i absolutely agree i just as, as you say, I just don't know where they got the original thoughts from to do all of these things. And I think when you're in that field, you talk about it in such a blase way, you know, you just, you make throwaway comments, but when you look at it from the outside, I mean, I, I know a few people who do studies with C. elegans and they tell me about that. And I'm just like, how do you do that? And it's just, you know, it's just crazy. Even to be fair, like working with cell culture, obviously I don't work in cell culture, but that kind of blows my mind sometimes and yeah it's just crazy and I think it just shows that there's so many versatile different areas of science that you just don't really know about until you're kind of in the thick of it and there's just so much possibility and so many things that you can look into in so many different organisms and animal models it's just crazy crazy and I count myself quite lucky because for my undergrad I did cell culture for my master's project I worked with mice and now I work with Drosophila so I feel like I've been quite lucky to have a bit of both um well all three um yeah, you've done everything well <laughs> but yeah it's yeah it's just it's just crazy this it just blows my mind every day I feel really privileged to be in the position that I am yeah so do you have to, I'm guessing you have to have an animal license for the Drosophila or no the- you don't no, because oh no, I'm probably not going to get this right, but it's because they're not vertebrates. They don't have a backbone, so you don't need kind of like ethical approval or any animal license to work with Drosophila, um, which is great mm. because obviously, like working when I was working with mice, you obviously had to have that ethical approval, and um, and obviously they're very easy to deal with. They're very easy to not to be horrible but to destroy um you know with with mice it's a lot more complicated you know you've got to be taught how to correctly put them down whereas with flies it's it's a lot more straightforward um and the way that i'm just out of interest this is the way that i do it um i knock them out first with the carbon dioxide so when i'm working with them i always anesthetize them so obviously they're not flying off um and after I've worked with them, I'll just pop them straight into a bottle of 70% ethanol and that's them deceased. Um, yeah. So they're, they're quite easy to work with in that, in that respect. So that's, that's quite good. But obviously, you know, you, you, I do still have ethical approval for my PhD and, you know, treat everything with respect and what have you. But it is a lot more straightforward than it is with some animal models. 
Yeah. Have they ever have you ever dropped the tube and they've just flown off and they're like, see you later? Oh uh, yeah. All the time. I did it the other day, man. I had uh, my lab coat on and I accidentally I really hope my supervisor is listening to this. I um I knocked one over and they all fell into my lab coat pocket and I had to really quickly pat it all down oh. and my my pocket was just all red and I was like, oh no, there's just like loads of fly carcasses, but yeah, but I will say my reflexes have got incredible since starting my PhD. Like if a fly comes past, I'm just like dead straight away. I'm no. so, I'm on it. I, you know, what is it? Is it, oh, it's on some TV show where they have the chopsticks and he like catches the yeah. fly. Yeah. I, I could do that. I could. I mean, probably not, but you know, <laughs> it's like your reflexes have to be quite good because they do escape obviously when you're transferring them and stuff. The, the the odd one does tend to get away and I mean I've come home before and I've, I've found them in like my hair up my nose on my clothes they just they get everywhere <laughs> I bet you're like an expert on holiday if it's like um I know like flies and you're just like slapping them off like that like honestly like yeah it's well, it's even like my friends who aren't kind of doing PhDs the amount of times that they've texted me and they're like Maria there is a fly in my room and it's really irritating me. Like, can you can you tell me what it is? And I'm like, well, probably not. But describe it. And like, this is what it looks like. And I'm like, yeah, well, I have no idea. And um, one of my friends who I'm doing my PhD with, her dad had um some flies dropped into his beer, and straight away he was like, oh, you've got to get Maria on. Like, tell her, get her to identify them. And I'm like, what is it that people think that I do? <laughs> Expert in flies. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. One thing I am interested in, are you planning on doing research after or, you know, like academia or would you, do you think more industry would suit you? I honestly, and this is the truth, yeah. I honestly don't know. Yeah. I think going into the PhD, I was always like, I definitely want to go on and do um, a postdoc yeah. and, yeah. you know, I, I would love to lecture. That was kind of the end goal um obviously you know to be a professor would be amazing mm -hmm. but now I'm just not sure I, it, it's not because I don't want to go into research but I just don't want to rule anything out and I think there's yeah. so many amazing opportunities in industry or you know even if I decided to kind of go a little bit out of that and go more down maybe I don't know medical writing or something like that there's there's just so many options so I'm trying to just keep keep everything as open as possible and I think I'm just going to see kind of what opportunities are there are presenting themselves when I get more towards the end of the PhD I think in my heart of hearts I would love to stay in research and I would love to go more into you know like the lecturing because I really do enjoy you know the, the few labs that I've helped out in and the few seminars that I've done for some undergrads I've absolutely loved and I think that would be a part of the job that I would really enjoy. And obviously being able to continue with the research on the side would just be fantastic. But if I'm being like really candid, a part of me worries kind of about the financial instability and the job instability that kind of comes hand in hand with that for a long time, kind of until you start getting those permanent positions. and. I would be lying if I said that I don't think about that sometimes and I don't worry about that because obviously I would at some point like to settle down and buy a house and I feel like that probably wouldn't be an option if I was doing a few postdocs and traveling around so 
I don't know. I'm just trying to keep everything as open as possible. I'm not ruling anything out at all. And I'll just see what happens, I think, and where my interests lie at the time, because, you know, something could come along in research that's the perfect postdoc and that would be incredible. But then equally something might come up in industry that is really aligned with what I'm interested in. So, yeah. And I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, I, I don't know about you. Are you wanting to stay in research or? Yeah, for me personally. Um, yeah, I think like I'd like to stay in academia with, you know, a research focused role. If I'm being honest, I think this is me being completely honest. And, uh, you know, originally I always kind of wanted to be a lecturer. Oh, oh sorry, I thought my mic fell in. Uh, no, I always wanted to be a lecturer, that kind of stuff. Uh, even during undergrads and all that. The more I've got on, like the more I've really found that I really do enjoy research. I enjoy being in a lab every day and, uh, you know, thinking of new ideas and stuff. There's, unfortunately, there is a lot more stability in teaching. So, you know, like lecturing positions in comparison with like a postdoc where it's essentially, you know, one to three years, then you're looking at elsewhere, then you're thinking, oh, do I want to become a research fellow where you're actually playing for your own funding? There's a lot to consider. But I do think that uh, route would suit me more, I think. Right. But, That's fair. Is, but yeah, I'm trying to be open. And in this industry as well, but I still haven't... People tell me, oh, industry is a, is a good idea, but I've still not actually seen what jobs they're on about. Like I've seen a few startup companies in like Oxford, Cambridge. I'm like, oh, now that looks like, you know, fun to me. Like no messing about yeah. in the lab, doing the work. Like that would interest me. So... As you said, I think for me personally, yeah, it's definitely research. I know I want to do that. I don't think there's anything else I'd want to do. But it's being open-minded to the opportunities, right? But. Definitely. I think uh, that that is one thing that I worry about because I, as, you, like, as you've just said, I'm exactly the same. I love research and I love being in the lab. And a part of me worries that if I didn't continue down that route, would I regret it? Yeah. And would I really miss it? Because I feel like that is where my heart has like been lying for so long. I just don't know. Yeah. Really it's, good to, know. it's good to have opportunities. And, uh, sorry, it's good to have open options, isn't it? I think that's the nicest. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess then you get to see what's out there. And I'm just trying, as I'm trying to be open-minded because I think often, especially when you're in academia, industry seems like such a dirty word and everyone's like, oh, you don't want to do that. But, you know, I'm probably the same as you. I don't really know exactly what it would entail and exactly what jobs there are in that area. So yeah, I'm just trying to be as open-minded as possible, have, have a bit of a look. But to be honest, it's not something that I'm looking too much into at the minute. I just, every now and again, I have a flick through like the jobs on LinkedIn. That's what I'm like. Yeah. What's on there. And yeah, I don't know. It's fun, I isn't it? <laughs> I know. I, I think I just do it more because I enjoy it. Not so much that I'm actively searching, but uh, yeah. I do I do just, I like to know what's out there. I don't know. I, I always yeah. like scroll on Twitter and it's nice seeing, oh, postdoc and this university yeah. da, 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 da. Um, but yeah I think the open-minded approach is definitely the best especially like you know during second year where I, th- I feel like second and third year probably second year more so is like the busiest year I don't know mm, actually no I think when you get to write then that's obviously I've heard that's quite difficult as well uh, depending on how much lab work you've got yeah mm. yeah I yeah I think it 
probably just depends. People do say that obviously second year is normally a lot busier than first year because you're starting to get small results and you, you because you're a bit more competent in the lab, you're a little bit more active in there because you're not learning as many new techniques. But yeah, I don't know. I think I'm probably going to start taking it more seriously towards the end of second year and looking into third year um, and seeing a little bit more what's out there. Yeah. But yeah, I take I mean, it are you are you a, a first gen? Do you, are your parents inside? My first gen? Or? Uh, no. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I am. I don't really class myself as first gen, but no one else since. Yeah. Well, I guess I am, but <laughs> I don't mention. Is that a big thing to you or? No, 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 I was just, I'm only asking because I was wondering, like, do you get sort of any pressure from your parents? So they kind of, did you, because like you speak to some people and th- their parents are sort of like, oh, when are you going to get a proper job? And, you know, mm. I just wondered if that's something that you get. No, my mum's, my mum's quite like um, open-minded with me. You know, she's always kind of like uh, by my side. She's always like um, supported me. I've always kind of told her what I'm doing. Um you know, without sounding kind of too confident, I kind of knew in like my first week of undergrad, I was going to do a PhD or wanted to do one, sorry. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of just been not straightforward. That's not correct answer at all. That's completely far from it. But like, I've always known I wanted to do a PhD. It was more just how do I get there kind of thing. That's been my approach. Yeah, that's... Yeah. I've never changed my, I've never not wanted to do a PhD from undergrad, not before school time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even want to go to university till I was 18, 18, 19. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I had no interest whatsoever. Uh, I only actually went to uni because of a rugby scholarship, but as oh, yeah. for another conversation, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, they've been, my mum's really, um, yeah, just kind of, you know, That's good. I'll support you, kind of just trust the process. Um, I said to her, like, I wanted to do the PhD and it's just, it's just one of them steps, isn't it? I think I've got kind of like a, my approach in life is, I think you work for a long time, so you may as well do do, do something that you're enjoying rather than half-hearted doing something. So that's... Yeah, definitely, opinion. I agree. So yeah. I don't know how you, are you pressured or... No, I mean, that that sounded really negative. I'm sorry no, that I asked it that way. Um, no, I think it's like, I, I'm kind of the same as you and neither of my parents went to uni and neither of them are in science. So I think trying to explain kind of what a postdoc is and what a right. fellowship is, it, it's, it's kind of difficult to get that across. Um, but they are like super supportive and I know no matter what I decided to do, they would support me all the way. Um, but it kind of makes talking about things like that quite difficult because it you kind of don't it's difficult to get a, like a non-biased but also informed opinion mm. which is why sometimes like I do find it quite nice to reach out to other postdocs that I know or whatever and very kind of I like I, I build a rapport first I don't just go straight in with the hard questions but I do ask you know like how have you kind of navigated this like yeah how how do you navigate like where you live are you kind of trying to do postdocs in a certain area and mm-hmm. um, just to kind of get my head around it um but no yeah my my parents are very supportive though so no matter if i decided to go into industry or academia they'd be i'm sure chuffed to bits whatever i did yeah definitely is that um not an issue but is that something you think about do you not like the idea of uh moving about and stuff um 
I'm not really bothered to be honest yeah. I'm not like married to the north and I don't I'm not sort of like oh, I definitely want to stay here um I think it's just it's just it's more like the fear of the unknown mm. I don't know if I necessarily like the idea of like moving around every year every two years until I'm like in my mid-30s I don't I don't know it's, it's a hard one to answer yeah I, I don't I don't know I'm oh, I don't know <laughs> I really don't know no, I think it's I think it's good to be open. Like for me personally, I I quite like the idea of it, but there are definitely days where I think, okay, maybe I do need to just think of you know staying somewhere. Um, well, you know, actually, we've both been to three different universities, yeah. Yeah. Yes, we have. So you know, I think that in itself shows that you're you know very flexible with. You know, was that annoying for you? Would you prefer to stay at the same university or? <laughs> No, to be honest, I'm quite pleased that I've had yeah. three different experiences and three very different experiences because I feel like I've learned very different things from all of yeah. them. And it's it's all things that I've been able to draw upon. And they've all been very different universities as well in, in terms of how they run and what they're like, what the sort of atmosphere is like. So... No, I'm definitely pleased that I did that. And I definitely, you know, if, if, if a really cool postdoc came up somewhere else, I would definitely be more than happy to go to the fourth one. <laughs> we'll just keep going until we hit like 10. It's fine. <laughs> no, I do agree though. There, there does have to come a point where you're like, oh, okay. You know, I think like, as you said, constantly moving, even at like 35 or, you know, whatever age, it, you know, you just want to settle. You want to get your own house, like you said, isn't it? And, yeah it's like all my friends from school are like all buying their houses and buying their dogs and I'm just like do, 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 still going to uni <laughs> yeah I know but no I, I agree in that sense I definitely do agree but yeah. Uh, but yeah no that was really interesting I in, very much enjoyed this chat thank you so definitely, much definitely yeah no thank you it's been really great yeah uh the only thing if you could finish off for me mm-hmm. is do you want to just give some recommendations for, you know, people who want to do a PhD and what you'd say to them? Yeah. Okay. So I would say if you want to do a PhD, just go for it. No matter what your background is, what sort of grades you've got at school, what, where you come from, you know, none of that matters. What matters is if you have a curious mind, if you have an interest in a subject and if you like to problem solve they're all the really important parts of a PhD it's not at all about kind of anything external which I think is the exact kind of opposite of what you're taught at school where it's all you know it's shoved down your throat that you need to do these grades um so yeah I just say if if you feel like you have a passion for something and you are interested in doing a PhD then don't let anything stop you or put you off from pursuing that. And, you know, as I've said, you know, I applied 17 times and it was lucky number 17 for me. If you don't get in, then keep applying. It takes some people a couple of years and there's absolutely no shame whatsoever in going and working, say in industry or in another lab for a while, just to get a little bit more experience and then go back in and apply again because I know loads of people who've done that and they're doing amazingly well. So no two journeys are the same, no two stories are the same. And, you know, just because you're maybe not following the same route as the person before you doesn't mean that your story is 
any less worthy or interesting so I would just say get your head down crack on and just apply and then drop me a tweet or a message on Instagram and tell me that you did it (laughs) no thank you that was good advice appreciate that and uh, yeah thank you so much good speaking no thank you thank you for having me I hope you all enjoyed that episode and I will see you all next time and if you're a PhD student and you're interested in coming on the podcast do just send me a message on Instagram or Twitter and yeah let's get something sorted